All right. So welcome here to our third episode of Free Refills, where Will and I from Bottle uh, chat about pretty much everything that's on our mind from philosophical musings to things that we are thinking about as a bootstrap company. And uh, yeah, excited. I can't believe this is our third one. On it's roll. weird trying, on roll. trying not to sound like you're talking to a podcast. Try to keep it. It's tough to try to keep it uh, just like the two of us are talking, but that's the goal. That is a good goal. Um, we'll do our all best. Right, thing, things we were going to talk about today. Um, VC Twitter and whether or not we should raise money. The product, what the opportunity is with Bottle, what we're trying to do. Uh, and if we get to it, a setup of this one-time versus subscription, if you're a direct-to-consumer or local delivery business, how you should think about onboarding your customers and making the first sale. Yeah. I think one thing we'll also hit on in there is when we're talking about product, thinking through, you know, how do we reach customers and talk about a little bit about what we've done to date and how we've done just kind of guerrilla warfare sales and uh, trying to figure out now as we re-architecture and improve our product how we can improve it and how we can uh, get out there and, and really do a good job of selling this so yeah and at least that's i'm curious to talk about that with you yeah all right well we were talking about this before we started recording so where did we where do we leave off on the vc discussion yeah i mean i think we were just talking about um you know the homogeneous thinking of vc twitter and some of the things you've observed. Yeah. Um, Not only that, more in relation to, you know, what does it mean? A larger paradigm of a blog post you wrote yesterday, which is around like what you call, you framed as, you know, do we exist? What I would call is like, what is the nature of reality? Right. So a quick, my blog post yesterday was called on my personal blog was called I exist. And the thesis was Sarah Silverman is on the Howard Stern show. And she remembers this moment and is relaying it in a podcast that she's on. And she remembers being on the show and her and Howard are talking about comedy and they start taking listener calls. And this guy comes in and he's pissed off and angry and he starts cussing her out and Stern immediately goes to hang up and he tells him he's hanging up. He says, you're a loser see you later. And just before the line clicks off, this guy screams, I exist into his phone. And then the line goes dead. And that stuck with Sarah Silverman because, and she took the lesson that everyone just needs to be heard, that they want to feel listened to, that they're important. I think it's even a step farther than that. I think it's deeper in that we're not sure that we exist and as humans, we're constantly trying to validate our own existence. Everything from um, men on the street catcalling women, trying to get a reaction, to all the selfies that we take, to um, looking in the mirror, making people laugh. We're constantly questioning our own reality. And one of the takeaways is if we're always questioning it, is it the deep down, or if we're always trying to convince ourselves that we exist, is it the deep down we know that we don't? That's what the blog post was about. My conclusion yesterday was more around the lines of we're in a simulation and or the Buddhists are right. Um, but I think there's a corollary to VC. 
don't know if we wanted to get into that or if you wanted to enter in on the Buddhist. Yeah, I mean, I think these are interesting points. Um, the thought that trying to think it's pretty existential to, to question your own existence. Um, to me, it's more about less about if we exist. Cause I think, in my opinion, like, I think we, I think matter is, a, I, I believe in the truth of matter, right? I believe that there's atoms and that we're, we actually are real. So I, I slightly disagree with part of your thesis. I do think that um, our understanding of reality is as in Western, in the Western world is slightly skewed. Um, and that I think that I do believe that this idea of a small self, what the Buddhists would call a small self and a big self. So, and I'm not a Buddhist, so I'm just paraphrasing. I may be way off here. Um, like small self is this belief that there's an, that the same Will Schreiber that got an A on his math test in eighth grade, that you are that, 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 that ideal of your identity exists today. Um, whereas big self would probably understand like this, an idea of impermanence and that everything's ever changing and that there is no subject object relationship between you and your hand, right? There is no, the way Sam Harris puts it, which he's paraphrasing, paraphrasing from this guy, Douglas Harding is you have no head, which is a really hard concept to understand. But like this idea that you, there is just, there's no duality. There's just oneness. Uh, and to me, I think that that's still a really hard philosophical concept. Um, but when we're thinking about the nature of reality, that rings more true with me than necessarily. And we may be in a simulation and that could also ring true, right? It really doesn't matter for a simulation because consciousness is the oneness of our existence in my opinion. Yeah, those are my thoughts. So for everyone who's saying, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Maybe we should parallel it to, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So VC Twitter. So the, the, the abstraction I've noticed is that it's odd when everyone gets together to convince themselves over and over again, that something's true to me, that would be an indication that it's not true and that you're delusional in this case, in the blog post case, our existence, we're constantly trying to prove to ourselves that we exist. A corollary would be VC Twitter. These people will not stop talking about how wonderful and amazing not only they are individually, but how amazing venture capital is as an industry. Nobody sits around and talks about how amazing uh, the legal system is, right? It just is amazing um, as a structure and it functions. Like we, we don't need convincing of that. No one's advocating to get rid of the legal system. That's the difference that I see. It's like this constant, constant chatter that VC is good, that our investments are good, that what we're doing is good. Over and over again, it smells a little, a little bit self-delusional. And you don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I'm not right. advocating that. Obviously, companies have had huge positive impacts that have been venture funded. Um, but I'm taking the average here. As a whole, the industry, it seems odd to me. Well, it reminds me of um, 
I listened to that podcast of the Gumroad founder on the Basecamp podcast a few weeks ago, and he talked about how all the VCs, their job was to court him to make him feel super important. And then actually, once he took their money, they kind of, and he, it was clear he wasn't going to be their home run, they kind of disappeared. And he felt like they abandoned him. And I think what the reality of VC is it's a business like anything else. And I think VC should be very honest with people when they give them money, which I'm sure a lot of them are about what the true expectations are and what the relationship's going to look like. Yeah. And I think Twitter, like all social media distorts the reality of the relationship with like the home runs so that these voices on VC are propping up their brand. Cause my sense is VCs think, you know, believe and are probably right that like in order to, what you want to have founders that want to work with you and like feel like you bring cachet. And so if you're a VC that brings cachet or people are fired up about like, it's like, Oh, I got the meeting with XYZ venture guy. It's like, as if that person can change your life. Right. Well, it, they can. So sure. there is that dynamic. You're playing for someone to write you a check for millions of dollars, which is going to, completely change what you're able to do in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. And long term, like it just changes, it just changes your company, your future yeah. one way or another. True. That's true. Those are the questions we've been wrestling with to open up about. We have been at somewhat of an impasse in terms of the last couple of years of getting over the next hump, improving the next market of usability for our product. And this question of, do we need venture capital to really take us to the next level? And honestly trying to answer that question instead of just, because I feel like part of this has come from a place where we so love what MailChimp and Basecamp and Nathan Barry at ConvertKit and Sahil at uh, Gumroad have done, it's inspirational. And I would love that to be our story, but have we become too dogmatic about it uh, and just said, Oh, bootstrapping VCs suck. Um, and have we truly examined because we did try to raise money four years ago as a business and we didn't, we got partway on our commitment level and then realized it was too much work for what we were trying to do and decided to start charging customers. So that's been, you know, to bring, to bring this into the discussion, that's, that's why we've been talking about this, even of like examining, yeah. should we raise money or not again? And I think spoiler alert, before we can get into the reasons why or why not, we've, we're not going to, but this at least has been the question that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And I think even add on to that, we may have started it thinking about VC, but I think we've also just said what, you know, what would have a million dollars do for us or what would $2 million do for us and trying to understand the immediate impact of venture dollars or not even venture, but money, whether it was a loan or a VC or a friends and family angel round or family offices in that world, like what would that do for our business and what are the trade offs? Right. So to answer the, what would it do for our business? I think, um, 
that the question really resting that I've wrestled with is, is am I good enough to get us to the next stage of if we've built a product that is really cool, you sign up, you send text messages to your customers, you can automate a menu to go out to everyone once a week or once a month. Um, we power the ordering and communication for over a hundred businesses use our software. It's really cool. That said, we have a massive surface area of product. We have an iOS app, we have a merchant dashboard, we have a web messenger, and we have a checkout experience for our merchants. And keeping up with that and iterating so that more and more businesses are able to use us and we think about where do we find the next market, am I good enough to do that while also focusing on improving the usability, improving the UI, improving the onboarding, maintaining the servers, all of these things that just go along with trying to grow a business as it is. Um, so that was the root of the question for me of like, where could we use a million dollars? How could it help us? Yeah, Without I, thinking about any of the costs. Right. I think that's the right way to think about it. I think the other thing that we discussed and that we pushed on or I pushed on a little bit is like, is there an in-between zone here where we don't raise money and uh, we hire part-time folks or we use the resources that we have. We have some front-end designers who've helped us in the past um, to help push us to then get us to the point where uh, we've been able to, you know, we will then be able to hire an engineer or hire someone in product based on our revenue. Um, and I think one of the best things that Beam Bootstrap has done for us versus having money in the bank has been this idea that we're constrained by cash flow, and we make decisions that are revenue. They're, they're, we try and make decisions that, are gen, that will generate revenue, but also will help us build a good product. And I think the, the real, realization we had in the spring of 2017, while we were just trying to sell our text-only business, was that a subscription product, a product that allowed customers to send a text to, to their end user, click a link, and then be redirected to a mobile optimized web page where they could add items to their cart and check out, that that was the crux of our idea. And I'm, you know, I think we raised money on, this, on such a different vision of how people would use SMS and Bottle in, in a lot of respects. And so without, without having to take it slow and having to figure things out and go slow and not having the pressure of fundraising has put us in the position we're in today. Yeah. Yeah. We would have missed it. We would have missed it. We would be like avocado today with a right. sales team pounding down enterprise doors. Right. Selling this to salespeople. Selling it to the law. We, we thought real estate, we had the interest from law firms. Like we yeah. would have definitely gone in a different direction because we would have had the money, so we wouldn't have had to worry about a sustainable revenue path because we could have said, you know, everyone can use text. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're still in that stage of like, we benefit a lot from this constriction that I actually, because we don't know what the next market looks like, I would wager that potentially having money could again, misdirect us. Um, you know, and I don't, I like to learn from past lessons. And so I think it's obvious that I'm 
I'm on, I'm actually like still on the fence about raising money a little bit. Like I do see the value, but I also think we're just, I think we're a few months away from knowing if we should or not. And that's kind of what we had talked about is that we have a few more things to do before we know if we should. Like I think raising money when we really felt like we had product market fit, even from just not even having a product, but feeling like we could hit the pavement on a sale on sales into selling something is a better place to be. Um, Cause I think we're still trying to figure out for our end users. Uh, should we be going after, should we be going after e-commerce? Should we go going after local delivery? How's the product going to work? Is there a need? You know, I think we've determined that we believe really strongly there's a need in a wider market beyond just our weekly meal prep customers. But I, I still think that we'll learn a lot from bootstrapping and being constricted. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all of that. The one can, the one thought I have though is how many, how many, do you have the right idea? It's just, it just isn't executed well enough, which is probably a cop out in a lot of ways, but um, it's a very competitive marketplace out there. There's Shopify, there's Squarespace, there's these tools and services that make it really easy to launch a store. And unless you're able to compete with them, on a product level and have something that's easy to use. Um, doesn't really matter if your idea is right or not. Ultimately someone will, someone will sign up and then say, I can't figure out how to use this. It's too complicated. Uh, and they go away just because it's not good enough. Right. Um, and I, I think about this in regards to what Keith Raboy calls path dependency. The best, in his view, his contrarian take is the best startups or the companies that really succeed didn't iterate their way there, that they actually had the idea from the beginning. And it may have taken them a while to get it fully implemented or um, to find their market, but the product was the same. His best example being Airbnb. Even through YC, Airbnb didn't iterate their product. It was the same thing. It was the idea that you would rent out um, a place to sleep in your apartment. And they didn't pivot into hotel bookings. They didn't pivot into a hotel marketplace or the way that even Fred Wilson suggested them to, that like he didn't see the path to this big business. It was always, they had this vision and they brought people to it, this path dependency. Um, do you think we have that though? Personally, I do. I think that we have the dynamic of like the way people think about subscriptions today as an example is um, or the recurring payment today is I go to an online store and I can buy one time or I can sign up for subscribe and save. And the idea that there's a middle ground is like completely foreign and new for people. And unless it's as good of an experience or way better, like people aren't gonna see it uh, because there are alternatives out there. Um, and it's back to like, I think the vision that we had four years ago of the fact that you would be texting with a business and then transact with them over text all the way back to Brit's company selling you a couch. And you were gonna text and get a checkout link with it with the couch pre-filled and hit buy um, is the same vision that we have today. And the interesting thing to me is that we've gone a bit full circle on it. 
which makes me double down on the path dependency. It's like we wandered partly be from uh, revenue or fundraising pressure step of like, oh, do attorneys need this or do interior designers need this or whatever. But really like from the beginning back to South Fork, the idea was you would text your customers, do you want something? And they'd text back or click a link and buy it over text. And we moved away from that, but we've moved back to it. Hmm. And more and more businesses are interested in this opportunity, but unless we can execute the product so that it just really works and works well, um, will anyone use it? Well, I think, will anyone use it has been answered, right? Because we built a nice six-figure business. Right. People use it. Uh, it might not be the perfect use case that you're describing, but... And I certainly think we have evidence that what we built is being used. I mean, we're processing thousands of thousands of orders a week. So uh, I think that question has been answered. I think the question I have is like, what is the, what is the act like getting in the weeds? It's like why differentiating ourselves from Squarespace and Shopify, right? And trying to understand, you know, what makes us like, cause we're not, I mean, I guess we're kind of competing with them, but I also think we need to find a way to not be competitive with Squarespace and yeah. Shopify and, and, you know, have an, a competitive angle for why someone would use us. And yeah. I think that, you know, I think we have two advantages. One, I think we're still very early in SMS. I think we're still fairly early in e-commerce, even though Shopify has been around for 15 years. Uh, and I think we're, you know, still learning exactly what the use case is. Um, so I think even if we raise money, what we built, perhaps we have a general idea. Yeah. Text your customers, sell more stuff. I think as a general, like rule is certainly something that is at the core of what we're doing and will always be the core of what we do. The implementation of that and the execution of that is where the magic is, right? Is it, you know, you get, is it that your whole, www.yourbusiness.com. Everything lives through bottle. You add products to your cart. You know, you're not, you're not in the send bottles URL. You don't have your own marketing page. We're truly your platform. I mean, that feels very much like we're going after Shopify. The whole thing lives on bottle. Um, whereas are we a form embed? Are we, do we have integrations potentially, which I think we've said no to, but you never know. Um, do those things, do we have a different way and a different value prop, right? Uh, and I still think those are, I mean, I'm even, I'm wrestling with that. As I'm going out there and trying to talk to customers and say, you know, how would you find value? I mean, I've felt the most confused about how to go out and sell this product than I felt since our early days in the last three months. Because on the one hand, we have a proven market and meal prep that we can go after. Uh, and continue to, to work with and, and try and prove our value. But then we also have all these other opportunities and like the use cases are all the same. I mean, at the core of the use case, again, is send a text, click a link, purchase. But the implementation of that feels so hard to explain. Right. Well, I think, and that's the challenge I'm pointing to, right? Of like, it's just, it's complicated to do well. It's hard to do well. And the service area of it is large. Um, 
I think in the, like the absolute base case, you had all the money in the world to execute the product. It's that each company gets, can set up a store hosted by bottle. They can subdomain it if they want. Maybe they sure. can put in their own domain. Here are the products that are available. I add them to my cart and click next on one page. It asks me for my phone number. I can either text in or input my phone number. And then I'm on the payment screen because I've now validated my phone number. And if I've paid before, I click pay with my stored card. If I don't, then I input a payment card and check out and I'm done. And then the magic is that a month from now or a week from now or whatever interval, the business can automatically reach out over text and say, do you want to order again? They're not forcing the customer to choose a one-time or a subscription in the beginning. It's a blend of the two. And maybe on the second checkout, they can get the customer to upgrade to just be auto charge. But that's a tough sell from the beginning. So that start to finish in my mind is, is if you could build a beautiful version of that, um, uh, it would be really frictionless and amazing for a lot of people. I think where we're stuck product wise right now is that first step of like, how do we make something good enough that someone's comfortable either redirecting to, or how do we embed that first order form into somebody else's site so they can just host it on the current website that they have. Yeah. I mean, I think even a, a, even a bigger thing there in that respect is that, well, two things here. One is that I think our market is slowly morphing from, you know, traditionally we've gone after small businesses in the local delivery space. And when I hear you describe the product that certainly can be applied in the, in the flow you described, that's definitely something that, that a local delivery business could use, but it feels more like this is going to be for, we're going after pure play e-commerce direct to consumer and trying to compete in that world. And I think one thing for us to think about or remember is that like we do really well with local delivery and, and local SMBs. We're really good at selling into that space. Like, and perhaps like, the architecture we're building should be driven towards that space. I think they're most likely to gravitate towards SMS. They're most likely to have like lower barrier needs. They allow us to experiment and understand the market, right? Um, and I'm trying to think like in that world, who fits the mold, you know, of needing that product. Um, and I'm just going to have to think about all the different use cases that could use that product, right? Um, I do think it's the people who are struggling to understand, like, how do they build a good experience for their customers? How do they get repeat orders? Yeah. Um, well, I think that flow works for the meal prep customers we currently have. I mean, most of them even ask, can people add stuff to their cart before they add their information? You know, so I think it's the same. It's just a, this product is just reconfigured a little bit different. Right. Well, and it eliminates a lot of our meal prep customers like the idea of packages. Yep. And so it would create a little bit of confusion on packages. 
but we could potentially help the vendor sort through that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think, and then I think the other thing is, okay, if local delivery and e-commerce, the product serves both of those the same, or they are the same, or the, you know, a lot of local delivery folks are using Squarespace and Shopify. Um, I think they have different needs. I think that's why we work so well on meal prep is because we built towards those needs of, oh, those platforms work, but they don't really solve all my problems. Alternatively, Outside of product, I think there's also just this understanding that we have to validate like the pain and prove that customers want this and prove that there's a need for this outside of this small little niche that we have product market fit in. Uh, and maybe we won't, maybe it's just the bet that like everyone needs e-commerce and just our way of doing e-commerce will be innovative and people will gravitate towards. Yeah. We talked about being bold, like not shying away from this idea that we're going to be your e-commerce experience. And that's, how, that's what's going to, that's our idea. Right. That it's not going to work well when you're stuck or when you're kind of using bottle as an in-between. Like that's not the use case that we're going for. Right. So to put a pin in this, I mean, I think where we netted out and maybe you want to talk about on product is on the sales that we're going to hold off on, on this discussion for at least two or three months and try and get an MVP out that at least allows somebody to embed a form, uh, add items to their card and enter their phone number and, and kind of get that into the wild and see how it does. And then we're going to revisit this idea of potentially raising money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the conclusion. Um, yeah, I'm uncomfortable just in general where we are for sure. You know, it's definitely a weird spot. It's like not, you know, I think this is the, one of those hard phases of business where it's not obvious how to sell this. Uh, we have decent penetration in meal prep. I'm not sure how much further we can take that. Uh, and trying to figure out like how I pitch something that doesn't have necessarily have a form yet you know, but you I, mean like an embed form yet i mean like it's i'm i'm imagining i can draw what it's going to be like but it's hard to kind of think about like when i'm writing if i were to pick the hummus provider from my local farmer's market and try and figure out why he should use this i have a hard time just like off the cuff writing it yeah. Well, I think this is back to like to reframe and to get out of the weeds a little bit. Ultimately, Bottle is trying to make ordering on mobile easier and it's trying to lower subscription fatigue. So any business that uh, is a consumable or that would be a good fit for a subscription um, can we better serve that business's customers by making uh, this idea of a soft subscription, easily skippable, opt-in or opt-out? Um, we'll remind you about your order, low pressure subscription so that people stick around longer and there's higher lifetime value. And as part of that being mobile first in that um, 
you know, conversion rates on mobile are a lot lower. If people are shopping on your store on mobile, which they are, how do you bring them back? Because uh, people aren't surfing the web and you don't have an app for them to download. And messaging channels are the best way to communicate with customers and bring them back. So those are the two big problems that we're solving with mobile ordering and right. subscription fatigue. And to be fair, I think they're the problems we think we're solving. I don't think, you know, I think we don't have, at least not like direct, we've only, we haven't done enough. I'm a big fan of customer discovery. Like I don't think we've done enough customer discovery to know what really hits home. I think those are the things we think will hit home and certainly is our thesis, but I guess that's my point of why this is an uncomfortable place to be is like, it's more, it's easier to be in this place when you have zero customers because you're like fired up to just get people on the phone and figure it out. When you're managing like having a big underlying business and also trying to figure out like your next evolution, it gets tricky. It's a, it's an in-between phase. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because certainly we sold most meal prep people on like the idea of cutoff times and a flexible subscription. Right. And leveling up from that, instead of it just being about cutoff times, keeping the flexible subscription piece, but now there's no cutoff times. And so um, existing subscription software works pretty good in that world. And so you're up against more competition. And e-commerce works really well, you know? Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's a harder sell which I think makes meal prep was a layup because most sites we went to, it was like, Oh, this is, isn't clearly isn't working well. The vendors knew it. We knew it. And so it was an easier sell. And so we had that kind of aha moment from some of our very first conversations. I think, and, and so we built around that, you know, I mean, remember we were doing sales calls before you really even started writing code for the product. We wrote yeah. a product requirements doc, but we didn't have much more than that. We had a two pager we shared with two, two potential clients of what, how the product would work. Yeah. We know much beyond that. Um, and in this case, we're kind of like going at it a, a bit differently. Yeah. Well, how would we invalidate uh, the mobile ordering subscription fatigue messaging, you know, to reverse it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two challenges there. I mean, I think one, the people that we're going to go to and have those conversations are using products that have more features than we'll be able to have right away. So their ability to, even if they have that challenge, like the ability for them, us to close them in the near term is pretty low. And I'm thinking about, you know, one client we talked to a few weeks ago who is going to end up using us for catering, but she wanted to use us for a Shopify integration and, you know, we didn't have shipping and we didn't have taxes. And that's why I think local is better for us because we're already built for local. You know, what local businesses that don't ship could we go to and try and convince like, yeah, your mobile experience isn't great. This is a better solution. We can have you up and running in six weeks. And I think we've talked about doing that with catering a little bit. Um, you know, I think part of this is just not understanding fully who the next end market is. Yeah, it's definitely stuck. I, I feel a bit more certain in the need here and it's just the, we can't deliver on it. Um, but it's also, that's based in more anecdotes than it is in like, yeah. oh, we've talked to a hundred people and 
30 of them identified this problem and 10 are willing to use our product if it were to exist. Like we obviously don't have that. I'd feel much more comfortable in that scenario, you know, cause I think founders hypothesizing about their product being the solution, I think is a dangerous world to live in. I mean, sometimes you nail it. I think we have enough anecdotal data from our current customers, but I think we'd be better off. And this is my hope is that whether we do it when we have the MVP or whatnot, like we'd be better off knowing ahead of time before, as we're building, you know, some of the things that, pe- that are going to come up and that people need. Yeah. You know, cause I don't know. I mean, I know you believe this, but I don't know how heartedly if happy camper, the customer we were talking about earlier, even if we had all the features, even if we were completely competitive with Shopify, if the flow of ad items at your phone number in a, in a par to par world with Shopify would be something that she'd want to do. Um, I think in a perfect world, she already has Shopify. She'd love a, a integration for us to be a Shopify app. In her mind was the original reason she took my email, which is not what we want to do. I don't think that's a good business strategy for us. Well, no, but I, but I also think, um, I also think like setting up, I mean, this is back to ideally if you're a local vendor, you could be, you could add your products and launch and be taking orders with a pretty beautiful checkout in 10 minutes on bottle. Right. I think, so I think it's part of it. Um, well, let me back up. I feel like we have a lot of customers interested that our product ends up not being easy enough to use that they don't end up using it. Right. Um, and I think we validated that a, a lot of people setting up an online store is pretty complicated even today. And like adding subscriptions is complicated and making it look decent is kind of complicated. And is there an opportunity of just delivering like, look, if you're selling a consumable local or shipping, this is the best way to capture one first time orders and get people on a recurring cadence without forcing a subscription on them. And it's the best way because it's easy to set up. It's mobile optimized. The design looks really nice. Um, and it's built in relationship building. It's built in messaging. It's built in communication with your clients all really easily. I think we can, I'm most convinced in that argument. I agree with all of that. I think we can test all of that one, two, three, before having to get people to sign up, right? I think that's, that's my opinion. It's like, it doesn't, it takes, we can work with Jane and get a beautiful slide deck and maybe even polish it up a little bit. You can polish it in Canva and have these initial conversations and then tease it with like, oh, the product's not quite there yet, but we'll let you know. I mean, that's what we did with meal prep. And the question is, do we just, are we willing to do onboardings and like handholding again? Cause we know that that's a really painful process. You know, or can we get away with trying to like, if we have a hundred customers interested, hopefully 10 of them are so passionately interested that they're willing to go through the pain of setting up their account right now. Cause they know the product's not perfect, but we're almost there and yeah. we'll, we'll walk them through it. And my bet is that there's enough people out there frustrated with e-commerce that we can tell and give and have a narrative and have a product that's in kind of what MVP esque mode and still in pretty good shape to, to 
with a massive market size, right? Because in our world, like the beauty of being bootstrapped again is like we only need, it would go to get 50 new customers would go so, it would be such a win for us. And in order to get 50 new customers, we probably would, if we're doing outreach, would need to reach, you know, with good outreach, I'd say a thousand people. Maybe even less. Yeah. And then of course, like that, then I think that's a flywheel, like having those 50, 50 customers pushes us to be better, which gives us more ammo to hire more people, which gives us more confidence. Right. I think that's the key for me is like when you're onboarding people constantly and adding and selling it, I think it just generates a confidence level. I think we haven't sold in nine months. So now's the time to go out there and hit the pavement and do 10 to 20 sales emails a day, a mix of meal prep and catering and, new possible accounts right and start getting and start building confidence you know yeah well i, I think there's a con, there's a fear to not a fear but a concern and just talking to customers and letting that dictate um where you go versus looking internal of like what works and what doesn't based on what we know we know or what we now know okay. and adjusting to that reality and back to the reboys path dependency comment it's like at some level you have to have a thesis of like if yeah. things worked this way uh people would really like it and i feel like our thesis has been validated we're just not executing against that thesis well enough to keep the customers that we convince to use it or to get the people that we do inbound or even from outbound get interested to actually get started because it's just too complicated to set up and get rolling and you get customers to order. Even and that's obviously part of the goal of the new embed or whatnot right. is to like make the customer sign up easier so that there's a lower hurdle and the merchant feels like they can integrate it more easily. Are you fully confident that that's the reason though? I mean, can you say with 99.5% certainty that the reason we're not converting as well as you'd like is because it's not easy to set up. You think that that's the, I mean, that's, I think, I think the easiest, I think it's that there's a thousand little things that are really bad within the product. And that's the easiest way to sum it up is that it's hard to get started. Yeah. But like we don't even have non cutoff time intervals live yeah. in terms of like customer facing these new link pages. There's no way to create them. When I sign up for an account, like, I'm not choosing a plan. I'm not being shown where to add my products. I don't know how to associate those with the category. So like there's so much friction in between sign up. But I think we've seen like even among people that use us like um, Taylor, that they just link right to our sign up page from Instagram. It's like, you know, they don't need, they're not worried about sending people to a splash page first. And I think we validated this idea that making mobile ordering a lot easier, like landing people on the signup or landing people on the product page and then getting them to create an order and then auto enrolling them in a soft subscription. So they get reminded to place another order is the flow. Like if you're building a business, like that's what you want to do. Um, I just think like it's tough to sell what we have 
right now because we don't have great examples of it. It's hard to set up. Like it's even hard for us to create the demos that we use to send to people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with 60% of that. I think it's, I think we should approach it. I think the sales and marketing challenge in my mind is to act as if we have a product that's great. Cause I think it is pretty great for the most part and to put together everything we can to support that. And then, you know, do what's necessary to help people get set up. Like we're going to try and do with happy camper and what we're going to try and do in catering and I think that'll give us a lot of answers. One thing I wanted to circle back to, and I, I read this earlier today, Nathan Berry has a post on his blog where he talks about how they went from 25K to 98K over like MRR over a three or four month period. And one thing I found interesting about that is when he was at 25K in, in MRR, he mentioned they had contracted developers. Um, so I just thought that was it. In, and then they were able to ramp them to full-time pretty quickly. So I know we've said, no, that's not viable for us. Um, and I'm sure their setup was very different, but it's just something I, I thought was interesting. Yeah. Well, Gumroad too, they still have contracted developers. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll have, I think we need to talk to people who've used contracted developers before and see if it's something that's an option for us. Cause I feel like we're approaching this with a, we either need like an amazing full-time engineer or it's nothing at all. And my lesson from looking at Courtney and Lindsay providing that quote and showing us some work that's going to be done. is like, wow, that's really awesome. Like we're for, for a very fair price, we're getting some awesome designs for this embed form and for the iframe. And so should we be thinking about other ways we can leverage the, the way the world's set up where you can get contracts with developers. Yeah. Yeah. We can have that debate another time, but I think it's yeah. at least worth like, I think being open to all options is a good thing. Having that open mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, anything else you think we should add? I don't think, I mean, I think that sums up. That's where I had is at with, you know, the, the path forward yeah, with product and raising or whatnot. If anyone made yeah. it this far, congratulations. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's about it. Okay, Until, cool. next. Until next time, let's end it there.